The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, 28th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you this day for resurrecting your Son, Jesus Christ, from the grave and conquering death. We could not thank you enough for all of your blessings to us. May we hear and see and sense and feel and appreciate the good news of resurrection this day in a way different than ever before. May today mark a new beginning in each one of our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My sermon text for this Easter Sunday morning is the Gospel account of Jesus' resurrection found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. My sermon title for today is, He was standing there. He was standing there. Do you remember, can you recall, the very first time you realized that the world wasn't necessarily a good and safe place. Can you recall your earliest memory of evil or destruction? Mine occurred when I was probably around the age of three or four or so, I'm guessing. I was blessed to have a stable family, a stable home environment, and so I was exposed mostly to love and positivity, from what I can recall. But around the age of three or four, I can recall carving a pumpkin into a jack-o'-lantern for Halloween. 
and leaving it on the front porch of our apartment in Greensboro. And I can remember coming home late one evening with my parents and discovering that the pumpkin had been smashed on the street just down the little hill from our apartment's front door. I have always recalled that incident vividly in my mind because I could not understand it. And it scared me. Of course, having grown up years later, I was aware that it was inevitably the result of a prank at the hands of some mischievous teenagers, no doubt, who probably didn't mean any real harm, but were just out to have some fun. But when I think back to my childhood, to the years of innocence, to my primordial, still-developing, baby-like mind, I realized how traumatized I was. It had not yet occurred to me that someone could simply take what did not belong to them. I had not yet been introduced to the fact that someone could simply destroy on a whim what you had built. It never dawned on me that complete strangers could walk up the front steps to your home and do something to hurt or harm you or your family. I remember thinking for the first time, there's another world out there. It's a world that mama and daddy cannot necessarily protect me from. It's a world of danger destruction and evil where random people can take your random pumpkin and randomly smash it in the street. Now, I don't know if you can identify a particular memory in your life from your own infancy or youth, but I think everyone in here knows what I'm talking about. And in the overall scheme of things, having your jack-o'-lantern smashed in a youthful mischievous prank isn't a huge deal at all compared to what many experience. But isn't it a traumatic moment when you first realize that this world isn't necessarily a good and safe place? When you first realize that mama and daddy and grandma and grandpa can't protect you at all times and in all places, when you realize that other people are capable of and willing to hurt you, when you become aware for the first time that there's stuff out there lurking in the shadows which not only does not have your best interests at heart, but which will also gladly abuse you or take advantage of you if given the chance. As silly as it sounds, I was horrified by that smashed pumpkin. I was mortified aghast, scared, traumatized by my introduction to the world beyond my protective and loving family. That pumpkin wasn't the only thing that got smashed that night. At the tender age of around three, I was first introduced to the notion, the concept, the reality of fear. All of us have such moments. The tragic thing about it is we learn to adapt as we grow. We learn that to be weak and vulnerable means we risk all sorts of things. And so we become hard and mean. 
we learn that to be nice and kind means we invite abuse. And so we become aloof and standoffish. We learn that to help somebody out risks being taken advantage of, and so we become cold and look the other way when others suffer. We learn to navigate in and negotiate our way around a world of fear. The next thing you know, we're smashing others' pumpkins, engaging in precisely the same sort of unhealthy and destructive patterns of behavior that were originally visited upon us in the name of survival, self-preservation, doing stuff to others before they do it to us. We learn early to join in the picking on and teasing and taunting of other kids because that decreases the chances that the crowd will turn on us and do that to us. So we grow into adults who continue similar patterns of behavior all because we're afraid of this wicked world we inhabit and we don't know how else to be or what else to do in such a dog-eat-dog, broken-down world. Over and against all of that stands one historical reality, one world-transforming and life-altering occurrence, one moment of direct God intervention, which just happens to be the subject of our gospel text this morning and serves as the purpose for our gathering in here, not only today, but also every Sunday. 2,000 years ago, something happened, which not only inaugurated a new world, a new life, a new way of being, which contrasted to our world of smashing pumpkins, but also conquered, defeated, and vanquished that world. The Son of God, the incarnate Word of God made flesh, was resurrected from the grave of death on the third day after He had been executed. There is a double new beginning of sorts there in verse 1. The first day of the week was dawning. It was a new day of a new week. Verse 2 indicates the sudden and abrupt interruption of the supernatural. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. The earth itself moved and trembled and shook. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Verse 3 informs us that His appearance was like lightning and His clothing white as snow. The guards, the sentries of the tomb, react with shaking, just like the earth, according to verse 4, and indeed themselves becoming like the dead man that they were guarding. None of this is subtle, my friends. None of this involves nuance. The first four words out of the angel's mouth in verse number 5 are verbatim the exact same first four words out of Jesus' mouth in verse number 10. Do not be afraid. Let's see. An earthquake, an angel descending from heaven, a massive stone rolled away, countenance of lightning, garments of brilliance, and do not be afraid. A world of smashed pumpkins and hopes and dreams and aspiration and innocence, and do not be afraid. A world of oppression and persecution, 
of trial and tribulation, racism, sexism, ageism, of murder and rape and environmental degradation, a world of warfare and violence, genocide and ethnic cleansing, of cancer, malaria, heart disease, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, of loneliness, despair, depression, despondency, of injustice, unemployment and human trafficking, and do not be afraid. No offense but it's going to take more than words, more than just saying it. In a world of fear, you can't just wish it away. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. The angel continues in verse 5. He is not here, for He has been raised, as He said. Come, see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He has been raised from the dead. And indeed, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see Him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with what? Fear and great joy and ran to tell His disciples. Fear is not yet dispelled. Fear is not yet cast out. It's still present, though now intermingled with great joy and excitement. Maybe, just maybe, Perhaps, could it be true? We as human beings are equally paralyzed by a fear of evil, destruction, and wickedness as we are by one which dares to state, dares to claim that all of that stuff doesn't have the final word and will no longer exist in this new life and world and kingdom. We are as afraid of the disparaging reality of our lives so far as we are to hope in a radically new and different future. We are, in many ways, bound up by fear. Suddenly, verse 9 says, Jesus met them. Wait, I don't get it. The angel just said, He is going ahead of me to Galilee. There I will see Him. Galilee is some 80 to 90 miles north of here in Jerusalem where the text is set. And it will take me a good few days to travel there by foot in this pre-automobile age. So, in my hopeful fear, at best, I was expecting to maybe see Jesus in a few days and in another place. But verse 9 says, Suddenly Jesus met them. I was expecting to see Jesus maybe later on, maybe after death up in heaven one day. But verse 9 says, Suddenly Jesus met them. The Revised English Bible says here, Jesus was in their path. The New American reads, Jesus met them on their way. And the New Jerusalem renders it, And suddenly coming to meet them was Jesus. As much as you want to meet Him, my friends, He wants to meet you even more. As much as you may be journeying towards Him, He is journeying towards you even more. As much as you may seek grace, mercy, forgiveness, acceptance, hope, and restoration, grace, mercy, forgiveness, acceptance, hope, and restoration seek you even more. As much as you want not to believe, not to hope, not to hold out faith in something more, something different, something better. Something more, something different, and something better is in your path. Meet you on your way. 
is coming to meet you. Suddenly, Jesus met them. The venerable poet Maya Angelou once said, People will not remember what you said. They will not remember what you did. But they will never forget how you made them feel. People will not remember what you said. They will not remember what you did. But they will never, ever forget how you made them feel. Several years ago, our nation celebrated that legendary pioneering baseball player Jackie Robinson's breaking of the color barrier in professional baseball some 70 plus years ago now. Another immortal player, Henry Hank Aaron, who 40 some years ago broke the home run record, was offered the opportunity to give his reflections on Robinson on that milestone anniversary. So Aaron began by talking about how his father used to always sternly squash his boyhood dream of growing up to play Major League Baseball, understandably out of his own justifiable fear and pain, by telling a young Henry, forget it, they ain't going to let no black folk play baseball. And then Hank Aaron reminisced about actually skipping school one day to go and meet this Jackie Robinson, who happened to be in town that day. And I quote, He came with the Brooklyn Dodgers to Mobile, Alabama for an exhibition game in 1948. I went to hear him talk to a crowd in front of a drugstore. I don't remember what he said. It didn't matter what he said. He was standing there. And after that day, my father never told me again that I couldn't be a ball player. I was allowed to dream after that. People will not remember what you said. They will not remember what you did. But they will never forget how you made them feel. I don't remember what he said. It didn't matter what he said. He was standing there. He was standing there. And I was allowed to dream again after that. In verse number 9, after Jesus meets the two Marys on their way, he says simply, greetings. The word in the original Greek text is kairete, which is translated several ways. Some saying hail, H-A-I-L. Other translations rejoice, be glad, good morning, or peace be with you. But I must confess, in this rare instance, I don't care what he said. For all I care, he could have said green eggs and ham. I don't like them, Sam, I am. <laughs> when I get older and my mental faculties start to diminish, I'm not going to remember what he said. I'm not going to remember what he did. But I will never forget how he made me feel. I may not remember all Ten Commandments, all eight Beatitudes, or even the 23rd Psalm, as beautiful and sublime as it is. If my mind gets cloudy enough, I may not be able to remember the Apostles' Creed or the Lord's Prayer, but I will never forget 
how Jesus made me feel. I may not remember all 66 books of the Bible, the three great creeds or the seven great ecumenical councils. I may not remember exactly how many crowds he fed with how many fish and how many loaves of bread and how much was taken over after each time. I may not remember exactly how many times he walked on water or calmed the stormy seas or exactly which Mary it was who anointed him in this gospel or in that gospel. Lazarus, the daughter of Jairus and the widow's son from Nain, all of whom he raised, may all fade into the fog of debilitated mental capacity, but I will never forget how He made me feel, how He met me on my way, how He came to me along my path, how He made me feel like I was somebody when others made me feel insignificant, how He made me feel like I was of value when I discounted my own self-worth. When He met me on my way, I don't remember what He said. It didn't matter what He said. He was standing there. He was crucified, but then he was standing there. They killed him and they buried him, but three days later he was, guess what? Standing there. He suffered for our sake, but now, now he is standing here. And because he's standing here, you and I can dream again. Because he's standing here, all things are possible. Because he's standing here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. You and I are more than conquerors. He who is within us is greater than him who is in this world. Because he's standing here, if God be for us, who can be against us? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn and because of that I am allowed to dream again oh my smashed pumpkin has been put back together my life has been put back together again fear has been cast out life trumps death hope trumps despair joy trumps sorrow and love love trumps everything oh he might have said hail to us when he met us on our way but I think it would behoove us to sing it back to him now all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him, what? Lord of all. O seed of Israel's chosen race, now ransomed from the fall, hail Him who saves you by His grace and crown Him, Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to Him all majesty ascribe and crown Him, and crown him, and crown him. Do you remember? Can you recall the very first time you realized that the world was redeemed? He was standing there. Amen.